Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced $2 billion in additional financing to help build thousands of middle-class homes in Vancouver and across B.C. The federal government funding is matching our province's own $2 billion B.C. Builds program, which was just announced last week. Now, the program brings together nonprofits, local governments, public agencies, and First Nations to identify underused public land across the province to create and build more homes for means-tested middle-income renters. The federal government is offering $2 billion in low-cost loans which Mr. Trudeau said today uh, should help fund and build between 8,000 to 10,000 units. The income threshold for these homes will be 84,000 for a single income earner and 191,000 for a household income. Joining me now to discuss today's announcement is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Prime Minister, thank you for joining us today. Oh, no, it's great to be back in BC. It's great to chat with you, Jazz. Uh, Prime Minister, your government has offered up to uh, $2 billion in additional funds for a provincial program that was just announced a week ago. What was it about this new program you felt Ottawa had to get behind? Well, it, it's the kind of program that we're really excited to see in BC because it's the kind of thing that's going to allow uh, professionals who work in a city, like firefighters or tradespeople or teachers, to actually live in the city they work in. And that's increasingly difficult in a lot of urban centers, not just uh, across the lower mainland, but uh, across the country as well. And these are uh, apartments that will be three and four bedroom as well, so places you can actually build a family. This, this idea is so powerful. It's going to have a, such an impact in B.C., uh, that I'm challenging all premiers across the country uh, to look at this program around BC Builds and uh, implement it uh, in their in their municipalities and their provinces as well. And the federal government will be there uh, to step up with financing so that we can actually uh, make a real dent for uh, middle-income families in the housing crisis. Should the focus not have been on lower-income um, uh, uh, renters and lower-income Canadians? Because, you know, the threshold, as I said, is $84,000 for single-income earners and 191000 for household income. Should the focus not be for low-income Canadians? That's, that's a really, really good question. And, and part of it is that we do have significant programs targeted on deep affordability, whether it's part of the housing accelerator uh, agreements that we've signed right across the country, uh, whether it's uh, direct initiatives on, on combating homelessness. There's a, a lot of solutions we're putting forward with municipalities and provinces. But one of the things we know about the housing crisis is it hits all uh, income levels and really focusing on middle-income families as a way of alleviating pressure that, of course, uh, you know, people find themselves in, in affordable housing because they can't afford market housing at, in the middle class, going across the spectrum with a program like this that is there to support working families, uh, middle-class families who are 
being terribly affected by this housing crisis. It's not just about low-income families, although, of course, we're doing things for them as well. Let's talk about the role of government in housing just for a moment. In the 1970s, 40% of housing starts had some sort of federal assistance. By 1986, government programs had dropped to about 14%. Uh, Between 1973 and 1994, Canada built 16,000 affordable homes a year. Now, it's fair to say governments at all levels got out of the housing business, and it's been a crisis, crisis in the making that's taken many, many decades. So when I hear all these announcements, not just from you, but from our province and, and municipal leaders as well, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of numbers and you hear a lot of numbers being thrown around. How much of an impact do you think any of this is going to have fundamentally on the long-term challenges? Because we've taken so long to walk into this mess, it's going to take a lot longer than just, you know, $4 billion. Well, it's going to take time to, to turn around. Uh, governments got out of the housing business, particularly uh, the government previous to us. Uh, when we took office in 2015, we realized we needed to get back into the housing business. So in 2017, uh, we made our first announcements around that. And we've stepped up continually uh, ever since and have really, really uh, put the, the pedal to the metal in the past, uh, past year with the accelerator funds, uh, with a whole bunch of different programs designed to unlock Uh, the construction of supply right across the country. Because it's not just about announcing this project or that project. It's about changing the way homes are built in this country, Uh, looking at zoning rules, looking at densification, looking at utilizing public lands, looking at accelerating permitting and cutting red tape. These are the things that will accelerate the construction of homes, even in those areas or in those situations where the government has very little uh, direct involvement. Things like taking the GST off of the building of new apartment buildings made a huge difference in the fall uh, with people starting to get back into that business. But solving housing crises is something this country has done before. At the, uh, at the end of end World War II, as we saw uh, immigration numbers coming in, as people returned and wanted to start families after the war, these were things that we got into the business of doing. We have to do it in the right way for the 21st century now. And that's where these partnerships with the municipalities, with the provinces, it was great to stand there with both David Eby and Ken Sim to, to be able to show that we understand that working together in constructive, progressive ways is how you change, change the nature of, of the future of this country in terms of housing. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
Now, Prime Minister, let's talk a little bit about immigration because I think housing and immigration is interconnected. Last year, Canada's population hit 40 million. We're expecting 485,000 permanent residents this year, 500,000 in 2025. And up until recently, we saw significant growth in international students as well. We've had to absorb that population, uh, which of course has caused significant challenges for housing, for rental costs in this city, and it's strained our healthcare system as well. Is it fair to say it was a mistake to raise immigration levels, whether it be permanent residents, whether it be international students? Ultimately, when we talk about a housing crisis, was it not a mistake on the part of Ottawa, your government, to raise numbers so significantly so quickly? Well, first of all, it, it, I mean, it's a really good question that a lot of people have. The fact is the number around permanent residents has uh, increased only uh, steadily over the past years. Yes, as you mentioned, we're about 465. We're on our way to 500,000 PRs. That is the appropriate and responsible level for growth in our immigration that we need for our economy, that we need to to grow the workforce. The issue we've had over the past two years uh, is that close to 2 million people have come through uh, through uh, non, non-permanent ways, whether that's international students, whether that's asylum seekers, or whether that's temporary foreign workers or some other categories. These are uh, people who've come here uh, and uh, are, are you know, causing uh, a much larger, of, uh, much larger pressure on our uh, housing uh, than would be expected from the regular uh, 460,000, 500,000 PRs uh, who, who come every year. That shift is why we had to take action on um, slowing down the arrival of foreign, uh, of uh, international students so that we can make sure they're not being exploited, that they're actually getting the quality education and not putting too much pressure on uh, local housing in communities across the country. But why did we're we... are also looking at temporary workers and such. Prime Minister, yes, I just want to, I, I, I do want to just focus on this a little bit, but it did happen under your government's watch. You're saying you're, 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 you're course correcting, and I think Canadians understand that, but why did it have to get to this point in the first place? Well, let's remember what happened you know, three, four years ago, the pandemic in which we uh, basically closed our borders for uh, a year or two. Uh, we caused, after the pandemic, as everyone started traveling again, a massive spike in categories uh, that we hadn't seen before as we were trying to make up for uh, the lost time uh, or the, the missed opportunities that the pandemic caused. So it's one of those things that happened uh, following the pandemic where we're right now getting things back to, uh, to the, the, the steadiness and the stability that Canadians need. One of the great riches of this country is that Canadians remain uh, almost unique around the world in that we continue to be positive about immigration, about the impact it has on our communities, the impact it has on our economy. But that hinges on being confident that we have a system that works, that can integrate, that can provide for, and that creates uh, a strong pathway to citizenship and successful communities. And that's where protecting our system by making sure that we're, uh, we're able to absorb responsibly the people who come uh, is important, not just in the short term, but in the long term of one of our great competitive advantages that we're a country that gets to welcome in people from around the world to grow our economy.
My final question to you, Prime Minister, and that's just about uh, leadership. There have been many national polls, and I know your time in politics, uh, you've seen more than enough of these polls, but polls uh, in the last mm-hmm. six months have shown you trailing, in some cases, by 15 percentage points behind uh, the Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev. What do you say to the argument that you've been in power for eight years and there's always a shelf life to, in politics? There's a growing proportion of Canadians who want you to step down and perhaps hand over the leadership to somebody else. What do you say to that argument? Um, we are right now in a really, really important time uh, in not just Canada's history, but the world's history. The, the challenges, the conflicts going on, uh, the pressures on Canadians, on families, and the questions that people are asking themselves all around the world about what the future looks like, what our democracy looks like. The fact that we have such a clear contrast between two visions for this country, uh, one uh, where we continue to step up in the fight against climate change and putting money in people's pockets and being there for each other in anchoring ourselves in science in rolling up our sleeves and working together to solve the challenges we're facing. That's what I'm fighting for. Whereas the opposite vision that Mr. Polyev is putting forward is one that throws up his hand, says everything's broken. Uh, let's make people even angrier. Let's, let's drive wedge issues that, that, that get, get uh, uh, a lot of traction on social media but distract from the fact that they do not have any solutions to the main core problems people are facing. And that's, that's the kind of fight that I got into politics for, this choice about what kind of country we are, how we want to build a better future. Do we do it by working hard, rolling up our sleeves and leaning on each other? Or do we do it by shouting and waving our fists and getting angry at each other? Well, I know Canadians. I know what we stand for when we're, when we're at our best working together. And that's what I'm excited about continuing to do with Canadians because this you know, election coming up in a year and a half is going to be a real hinge moment for, for the country and for what we want to be as, as Canadians. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that opportunity. Prime Minister, look forward to having you uh, in the studio uh, next time you're in town. I really appreciate uh, you making time for us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jazz, and I look forward to being in the studio as well.